0: Well, friends, we're in the third week of our series, The Pursuit of Happiness, and it's based upon a book by a friend of ours. His name is Matt Miafsky, He's a pastor in St. Louis, and his book is called Happy, What Is It and How to Find It? And so we've kind of used this as the basis for our past couple weeks here. We've talked about how it's relationships, not things that make us happy, and then last week we talked about what leads to healthy relationships, that the, it's forgiveness that, that leads to healing and happiness. And there's a podcast that I like to listen to. It's called Jalen and Jacoby. And one of the hosts, Jacoby, has a phrase he uses all the time. And he says, happiness is a function of expectations. I, you've probably experienced this. Like when you go to a movie and you're not really expecting much, it's pretty easily to be satisfied, right? It's easy to clear a low, a low, a low bar. But, but other times, if our expectations are really high for something and they fall short, well, then we're disappointed. And, and sometimes I think we take that approach to life. You know, if, this, if our expectations are met, then we'll be happy. It's kind of this simple formula. If, then, if, then. This is an equation for our expectations. If the Chiefs win, then it was worth going to the game. If I have a date to the dance, then I'll have a good time. If my kid likes their birthday present, then the party was a success. Right, we do this. we do this all over the place. Speaking of parties, right, if my candidate wins in November, I'll be happy. Oh, didn't think I'd go there right off the top. (laughs) Kind of snuck it in there. Friends, I'm here to tell you, if you look to politics for happiness, you will always be sorely disappointed. You may become miserable, and you may make everyone else around you miserable on your way. The if-then formula is problematic because it's conditional. We set up these conditions to be happy, and if they're not met, well, then we're not happy And we do this in lots of areas of life, and we kind of stack them on top of each other. Our if-then approach to happiness leads to a list of prerequisites that have to be met in order for us to be happy. I enjoy doing these. I made you a little chart, right? For different kind of seasons in life, we have these if-then. If I get good grades, make the team, have a boyfriend or girlfriend, if I have the latest phone then I'll be happy. And then you get a little older, you get past high school. If I can just get to the next phase, if I can just get a job, if I can just get married, if if I like my my car or my house, then I'll be happy, Or, or that changes as we age. If I can just make it to retirement someday, if I can get out of debt, if I can see my kids happy. So it becomes not just about your happiness, but the generation behind you. If I have my health, then I will be happy. Also a little disclaimer for all of us across all of the ages. If we can just make it through this pandemic, then we'll be happy. All right, (laughs) yeah. So buckle up, right? Who knows how long? And the problem with this approach is that these are all things we chase. And sometimes it's like, unless all of these conditions are met, then we don't consider ourselves happy. We don't feel happiness. As long as our happiness is tied to circumstances, it'll always be fleeting. What if instead of being Upset by what we don't have or what we don't possess yet, we learn to be content with what we do have. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? To be content as opposed to happy is a much deeper goal because contentment is cultivated. It's going to take some work. Contentment is cultivated, not circumstantial. In our scripture today, we're going to hear the secret to obtaining happiness. And I always appreciate hearing from someone who's a practitioner, not just a theorist, someone who really has lived something out and and not just speculating on it. So we're going to hear these words from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this book of the Bible that we call Philippians was an ancient letter written to the church in Philippi by someone named Paul, the church's founder, and, and at first glance, when Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord, right, that, that could seem a little flippant, right? Kind of like, well, ah, don't worry, be happy. Or when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, right? But what's, what's helpful for me to keep in mind is, as we read this is that Paul wrote these words, rejoice in the Lord. He wrote these words while he was in jail for doing God's work. That brings on a certain air of legitimacy, doesn't it? It, It's easy to rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. But the the faith and the fortitude to be able to say those words in prison while doing the very thing God called you, I, I think it's so unbelievable, maybe that's why he had to say it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. He continues, let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now there's a word we don't use a whole lot, at least I know, supplication. The the concept that God will supply our needs. So so here we see that, that prayer is the key to what we lack, not worry. We can have, have a whole series on that. And then Paul goes on to describe what I would consider to be an excellent definition of happiness in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this, this concept that, that perhaps happiness is, is the peace of God a peace that doesn't make sense on paper, a peace that is present despite all the excellent reasons you might have to be unhappy, all the things that are wrong with your circumstances, a peace that abides with you, with us, in spite of all those things, not because those things are eliminated. And again, this was written by a servant of God on death row for following God's will. That's inspirational. He continues in verse 11, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of, of, and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this, this part of the scripture for me is an interesting one because I, I've had plenty my whole life. Now, now things got a little bit lean in college, but then it's like, oh yeah, I was in college. Like things were going pretty well still. That's, that's, uh, getting an education is, is, is a privilege. Uh, but but I, was, I was thinking of what it means to have little. I, I remember Sarah and I, uh, we were dating very early on. This was probably in 2005. And we were going to have us a little picnic so we went to the grocery store in Marshall, Missouri, where Sarah went to college, and we got us two Lunchables and a two-liter ginger ale, like you do. That was our big date, all right? And we had selected the Lunchables with, like, the deluxe ones with, with the little Capri Sun and the little, little Kit Kat bar or whatever, and I will never forget my morbid embarrassment when I got to the cash register and I realized that I didn't have enough money to pay or the deluxe lunchable, and I had to say to Sarah, um, "Why don't you could you just go swap those out with with like the regular lunchables, right?" And so we developed a phrase, "lunchable poor." <laughs> you you can't even afford the deluxe lunchable. You got to get just the regular lunchable. So when I think of what it is to have little, I think of being lunchable poor. Now we were just as happy eating our standard Lunchables in the park as we would have been uh, with the little candy bar and everything. But that's a memory that I look upon now fondly. Didn't feel that way at the time. It's as if Paul is saying, I know what it is to be Lunchable poor, and I know what it is to eat at Q39. He has experienced a wide array of circumstances in his life. Paul's secret to contentment is independent of his circumstances, and it is dependent on Christ. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. This, this verse is in the Bible Hall of Fame, right? And this is what Paul says is the secret to contentment, being able to handle any set of circumstances through Christ who gives us strength. This particular verse, Philippians 4.13, is a favorite, it's a hallmark of a lot of famous athletes. A couple of them came to mind, Tim Tebow and Steph Curry. Uh, Tim Tebow was pictured on the cover of Sports Illustrated with this verse on his eye black. And I know it's a little hard to see here, but Steph Curry in his very famous and and very successful line of footwear actually has I Can Do All Things stitched into the shoes. I, I, I I thought that was really cool. And I think these athletes witness is a good thing. And and it's awesome that we have athletes trying to live a godly life in the public eye. And and both of these men have succeeded at the highest levels of their profession. But but to me, Philippians 4.13 is less about the will to succeed or, or to dominate. It's about the ability to endure because you have a strength that's beyond your own. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I think that's less about you know, winning the game and, and it's sometimes more about being content even when your list of reasons not to be is pretty high. That, that no matter your circumstances, Christ will provide you with the strength to keep going and you can access the peace of God that passes all understanding. Being content when everything is great is easy but being content in every circumstance, it requires the strength of Christ. And so, so, so if I'm you, like, okay, easy to say, well, what, does that, what does that look like to actually do, pastor? If we want to be happy, how do we attain Paul's secret? How do we cultivate contentment? If it takes work, well, what does that work look like? And in his book, Mioski offers three things. The first is to live in the present, right? Some of us are so consumed by regrets, of the past that that we can't even see what there is to be content about in the present. I'd refer you to last week's message about forgiveness and what it means to forgive yourself. Others of us are so anxious about an uncertain future that we rob ourselves of contentment in the present. The scripture tells us that our past is forgiven and that our future is secure. That's part of the good news. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can know how the story ends. I love how Matt put it in his book. We know that whether things go well or not in a certain season of our lives, God has our future secure. And we can experience joy and peace now, not based on the season of life we are in, but rooted in the future that we know is secure in God. Live in the present. It's tough. It's tough not to let worry take over. I didn't have this like written down, but I just, I just got to tell you, I have experienced sleepless nights. I've experienced stressed dreams. This place is 150 years old, our church. And I don't want to be the one who, who goofs it up. Right All of this, all of this stuff is just, who would have thought? Who would have thought we'd have to sign up for church? Who would have thought that this would be like the pinnacle of social interaction? that's where we're at. So how can we live in the present and not be consumed by worry? Sometimes you're preaching to yourself. The second thing that we can do is to change our perspective. And it's, it's helpful to hear these words from Paul, to rejoice, to, to be reminded of how good God is by someone who was in jail for serving God. So how can we change our perspective? Have you ever seen one of these? It's, it's kind of one of these You know, optical illusions. Do you see a woman's face or somebody playing saxophone? Are you getting it? You can see both. Okay. When we change our perspective, we can view the same event two different ways. When our daughter Betsy was born, she was diagnosed with congenital muscular torticollis. Sounds worse than it is. Her neck muscles were tense. And and it strained on one side and it caused her to kind of cock her head a little bit. And that would inhibit her growth and lots of different things. Her, her facial features wouldn't develop symmetrically because of that. she never turned her head one way. So she wore a corrective helmet. <clears throat> now, I'm thankful for the gift of experience because Betsy was our second child. And if this would have happened with our first, we would have absolutely been freaking out. But on the second, you're like, ah, they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll be all right. right. Because I have experienced a wide range of circumstances as a parent, including being at the hospital where there are other children with much less curable conditions than Betsy's torticollis. I was able to put it in perspective. And so I have two options with with this diagnosis. I I can be upset that Betsy was born with this condition that affects one in seven children, or I can be grateful that something as simple as physical therapy and this helmet is going to fix it. I could be upset that this was going to cost us thousands of dollars. Could have been mad about that because we got the diagnosis in January after our whole year of what's it called deductible. Or uh, yeah, you can see I'm a pro at this, right? Our our money we had put into medical things had reset, so I could be upset by that, or. I could be glad that all it was going to take to cure my daughter's skull was a little bit of money. So which, which, which one are you gonna pick? Changing our perspective helps us to be content. And the third thing we can do to cultivate contentment is to let go. Think back to the, that list of things we put up on our chart. The if-then equations for happiness. Happiness aspects of our careers, the the health of ourselves or those we love, staying with current trends like technology or cars, having a secure future, how many of those things are simply out of our control? A lot more than we'd probably like to admit. Miofsky put it this way. We can't control the actions of others. We can't control the economy. We can't control our kids, although we certainly try. We can't control death or disease, hello. Many things are simply beyond our control. So we must learn to accept what we can and can't do. We have to place trust in something or someone beyond us. Friends, like shifting sands, circumstances can change. And that's why we can never base our contentment on them. Jesus describes this in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them, another translation says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. When our lasting happiness is rooted in God, It's easier to deal with shifting circumstances. Friends, contentment is cultivated, not circumstantial. It takes hard work to live in the present, to change your perspective and to let go. It takes intentionality. But if we will do this by tapping into a strength beyond our own, then we can stop being dependent on circumstances and more dependent on Christ in whom we can do all things, and everybody said, Amen. "Amen, let's pray. God thank you so much for the chance to be together, something we don't take for granted, to be together and to be reminded that we can access a peace that passes understanding, and that because of the work you have completed in your son's life and death and resurrection, we can say in all circumstances, we will rejoice. God, we confess that that's easier to say than it is to do. It's easier to think about than it is to truly feel. And so this morning, as we take stock of our circumstances, of our different lists of if and then, we ask that you would fill us with the peace that passes understanding. Help us to see just how good you are in every season, in all circumstances. And help us to rely not on our own effort or our own psychological prowess to worry about the future. But help us to depend on you. Give us the strength that can only come from you so that whatever's coming around the corner, whatever's coming tomorrow, whatever's coming next week, we know we can make it. Not because of who we are, because of whose we are. God, help us to cultivate contentment. Amen.